live from Cape Town. This is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. besides the masajid that's beside the islamic centers the boreholes the 
the orphans, the students that bursaries are sponsored, the feeding. I mean, that's, that's another whole story. Ramadan feeding is incredible what goes on. And all from the donors in Southern Africa. So, I mean, over 30 years, yes, that's the history of the African Muslim Agency, Direct Aid International, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Just looking back 30 years ago, how it all started out, did they foresee, you know, this growth within this organization to go nationally as it is currently? You know, I think, I think, uh, yeah, I think, you know, you know, when, when my late dad, first of all, was started by, by a brother, Dr. Abdurrahman Sumait, uh, uh, from the Middle East, who actually went into Africa and saw what was going on and uh, called it African Muslims Agency. And then, of course, uh, he called my late dad at that time, Muhammad Farid Chunara, who, uh, who then was involved in Islamic work already and said, you know, let's start this in South Africa as well. And that was 1987. And uh, I don't think they had any idea of what was going to happen back then. It was, you know, pre-94. pre, pre uh, 94. And, uh, and I remember my dad going into places like Soweto and those kind of places in the evenings to feed people. And of course, you weren't allowed to go there. Yes. And you would take me with as a young boy and we would just go and feed people and teach children. It was incredible. But of course, no idea. So again, you know, I always believe that everybody does a little bit in their little area. Everybody focuses on what they can do. And then Allah decides what's going to be the impact of that. Because you and I, we have the control of what our effort, but we have no control of the result of our effort. Allah decides that. But we do have the control of how much effort we put into it. So I believe back then, the effort, I remember him getting in his little combi and going around the country, driving from town to town, and actually explaining and showing pictures to people what was going on in Africa. Because back then, a lot of people in South Africa were closed up to what was going on in Somalia, for example. We yes. didn't know the starvation. The children were dying while crawling to feeding camps. Because there weren't pictures being shown about it. And it wasn't social media and stuff. There wasn't internet. So then, so they had no idea. But he used to go around with these big posters around the country showing people at different masjids of what was going on. And some people took to it. And I think just the intention and the near again. Because, you know, when I, when, I, when, I, when I became part of Africa Muslim Agency now about six years ago, I remember uh, Qari Nurbay at the time, uh, Rahimahumullah, mm. and, 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 and another brother also mentioned to me at the time, they said, Imran, everything you do, remember, keep your near clean. If your near is clean, Allah will decide the outcome. But the minute you start them, your knee is not clean, even in this Islamic work, even in what you're doing in helping people. If your knee is to show off or to prove something, forget it. Because Allah does not need us in the process anyway. So, you know, you're not doing us a favor, which is incredible. Hafid Imran, you mentioned as a young boy, you've been with your dad. And then you say six years ago when you joined the African Muslim Agency. What did you do in between then and, um, you know, looking at um, the um, stalwarts that was part of this organization, starting it up and all of that? Um, tell us about, you know, your dad leaving home. Otherwise, how would he have gotten yeah. all those pictures? Absolutely, that's incredible. I mean, I, the, all, all the memories I have is of him going to, to, to Africa and uh, coming back. And then, of course, he decided we shouldn't have a dining room table because in Africa they eat on the floor and they don't have anything. And then when there would be too much food cooked in our home, and he would say to my mom, well, I mean, in Africa, I just came from a place where they don't even have one of these dishes. Why do we have three of these dishes? We should have one. And even then, so he would, I mean, he just tried to inculcate in us that what he saw in Africa of other children starving and, and eating off the sand. If something fell on the sand, they would eat it simply because that's all they had to eat. So that's the mindset we grew up with just because watching what he did. And then, of course, he was always going into places like Soweto and other places and taking us with and risking, obviously, at that time because you weren't allowed to, uh, to go and teach others. So that was his, his passion for that. And so I grew up around that all the time. But I always decided, interesting, Allah plans, and Allah's plans are incredible. I always decided to go take a different path. I decided to go into business and whatever else, and I became a dental technician, so I became a professional. But you know, Allah decides when it's the right time for what. Yeah. And I tell you, I always, when somebody, my dad always said to me, would you do this? And I said, no, I probably wouldn't. 
Subhanallah. And it's incredible the fulfillment I get now yes. from going into Mozambique and Malawi in villages and listening to Quran being recited in the jungle and you know watching thousands of people being fed now in Ramadan in different parts and just watching that, that whole process. It's amazing to me how it fulfills the human soul. But again, I was saying this in the masjid last night at Maghrib time that Allah, we're not doing Allah a favor. We're not doing the poor people a favor or someone underprivileged for that matter. They're doing you a favor. They're doing us a favor. Allah does not need us. Kun fayakun, Allah can change it anyway, man. So I try to keep myself humble to remember Allah doesn't need me. He probably brought me into this to cleanse me. Because He knew my weaknesses. And because of my weaknesses, He brings me into so I can earn some of His rahmah. So we say to people, when you're in a position to give or to benefit or to help someone, it's not because Allah needed us to do that. Allah can fix a situation without us. So we are tools in that process. Which means, because of our weakness, because we, Allah is giving us a chance to earn His barakah. So when I view this, I don't view this as me doing something incredible. I view this as Allah using me to help me earn some rahmah and barakah in the process. And I'll tell you a story later on, maybe a little bit about some of that, inshallah. Inshallah. Just looking at, you mentioning dad traveling, and now we're looking at the family. Your mom probably held the family together. How many siblings do you have? And tell us, you know, yeah. how, the dynamics of how she took care of you in his absence. I tell you, I mean, again, you know, it's, it takes, uh, it does take a special kind of woman. I mean, it's incredible because, you know, whenever we think about, I was speaking to somebody the other day and, and we're talking about my mom and, and we're just saying that it's, it's, it's amazing that the patience you have to have when your husband is doing this kind of work all the time. And he's, he's always giving to others first. He's always, his mindset was for orphans. He, he really had this passion for orphans and the uh, elderly people. He really wanted to make a difference in their lives. So for him, that was a big passion of his. So yeah, I remember, I mean, you know, I've got a sister and two younger brothers and an older sister and two younger brothers. And I mean, we got new clothes once a year if we were lucky for Eid. You know, that was like possibly. Uh, but mostly it wasn't. Why? Because other people in Africa didn't have it. And, and of course, as a child, you can't understand it. You think, well, okay, they don't have, well, that's their problem. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. why, why mustn't I have? because they don't have you know and it's just but you learn these lessons again and again it doesn't mean that we must all live a life of, of that simplicity all the time because Allah's blessed certain families and he's blessed them and buy for your children give I've always told you give as long as your heart is humble and as long as you know that there are other people who are also in need as well so yeah of course as a family unit that was really really important to understand of course we spoke about the history of 30 years ago when you were still a child when all of this happened, you know, in your home, basically, subhanAllah. But also this was never your dad's intention to keep it within the home. It needed to spread a little absolutely. bit further as absolutely. well. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think, you know, and, and when I look at today, what goes on today, I mean, it's all over Africa, of course. And right now, of course, the month of Ramadan, it's, it's obviously the appropriate time to be talking about this. Yes. So we have projects all the time. We have projects which are, you know, in the beginning of the year, we have bursary projects where we fund bursary students. Uh, and then, of course, we have educational projects. We build massage all over Africa. We build water wells and boreholes, like I talked about earlier, thousands of water wells. But for example, in Ramadan, the biggest thing is feeding. Now, I know we always talk about feeding because there's always a need for feeding. Yes. But when you think about it, I mean, we do local feeding here in Cape Town. We do feeding around the country. And then we do feeding in different parts of Africa. Just last night, I received some WhatsApp messages from Malawi, for example, where with pictures and videos of thousands of people breaking fast last night uh, uh, and having iftar there in Malawi. Now, you know, often, I mean, I went to Malawi, went to Mozambique, and I went to these villages. And we've got, we had some staff that went just a few weeks ago to Malawi and Mozambique as well, where they went actually into, we had a donor actually from Cape Town who went with to Mozambique as well to go and inspect one of the water wells that his family had donated as well which is incredible and when you see people there I mean they have no idea where food's going to come from tonight 
I mean, we already know what we're going to have for tonight. Whatever, we already take it out in the, earlier in the day. We know what's going to happen, so our appetite can build up. And you know, Allah, Allah blessed us, and Alhamdulillah, that's good. So we mustn't, uh, you know, we mustn't deny that either. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, I want us to be thinking about what goes on in Africa. These people get up in the morning and they have suhoor. They have no idea what they'll have for iftar. And and during the year, besides Ramadan, they don't know what they'll have for breakfast, lunch, or supper. I went into some of these villages and you walk into these places and it's time for salah. And I always question my own faith when I'm in those places because I think if I wasn't, I mean, I look at my bounties that Allah's given me and the blessings and all that. So then you somehow feel guilty. You feel, okay, I should be grateful. So I'll make my salah. And we're just human beings. But when you have nothing and you're sitting in the village, there's no adhan, there's no peer pressure, there's no masjid to call you for salah, there's no, you don't have food, you don't have money, you don't have anything. So it's so easy to feel sorry for yourself and I'm not going to make salah. And yet, when you walk into these villages and it's time for salah and they stand up and make salah, to me the iman, the faith, the strength of your iman must be that my, my creators asked me to do this regardless of what I have around me. Whether I can eat, whether I can feed myself tonight, or whether I have water or not. So they don't question Allah, Allah's plan. This is Allah's plan for them. And yet we forget that. So of course Ramadan time, there's thousands of people being fed there. Last night we were in Hazendal Masjid here, in, uh, in uh, Masjid Khalil in Hazendal. Just last night at Iftar time. I was impressed with all these youngsters who were fasting. SubhanAllah. So that's just locally. Then of course we have in, uh, we have in, in Johannesburg as well, we have feeding. Yes. We have in Durban, we have feeding. Every single night there's different places of course. And then like I say in Mozambique and Malawi, thousands. So over the month of Ramadan, over a million people will get fed every single day a hot meal. For iftar and suhoor. Can I just ask something? You mentioned Mozambique and Malawi particularly, and you, you said that Nawadan, um, people are fasting, they don't know where the next meal is going to come from. And we're looking at, well, if it's an elderly person, already they have that um, faith that is instilled within them. But what about the youngsters? You know, um, how are they kept on the path, subhanAllah? I tell you, and I was saying, I was sharing this last night at, 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 uh, at Iftar time at, 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 in Heisendal, where I was walking in a village in Mozambique. You know, you, first of all, you've got to fly from here to Joburg, from there to Maputo, Maputo to Kilimani. Then you drive in a 4x4 for seven hours. Then you go on a bicycle, and then the bicycle breaks down. Then you start walking. And then you find 98% Muslim concentration in Zambezia province in northern Mozambique. That's not far from here. When you think about it, you know, in the big scheme of things. Yes. But when you get there and you're walking through these villages and all of a sudden your Quran being recited. I mean, we came to a village, I remember a clear as day where this child was reciting Quran and, uh, under a tree. And then you arrive in this village and they're so happy to see you. Yeah. And they give you the little bananas they can get off the trees anyway. They give yeah. it to you because they're welcoming you as guests. It's amazing the feeling. But you see, again, because the elderly people there. And the, the older people, they are so concerned about the Iman. You walk in the village, because you're a stranger, all the women put their hijab on. The minute you arrive in the village, that takes a different kind of Iman. Because they know the concept of yes. what, the, what their faith is. And so that's how they instill it in the children as well. And you know what's impressive? Just on our doorstep in Hazendal last night, I was sitting and talking to some of the children while breaking fast there last night. And uh, some of the boys, I didn't expect this, and they were saying, oh no, we live in PE. I said, what do you mean you live in PE? They, they said, no, 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 we now go for Darul Ulum. We're becoming alims in uh, Darul Ulum in Port Elizabeth. But we're from Hazendal, so Ramadan time we come home, and December time we come home. And I looked at these boys, I would never have picked them out of a crowd. I would never have figured it. And they start, and I said, how many Jews are you complete? How many Jews? What do you start? Now I'm becoming an alim. And I asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? Now I want to be a sheikh. I want to teach Quran. I want to teach. This is, it's because of our, 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 our community. Yes. Our faith is incredible. Because Allah, again, you know, I always think, if we just made half the effort that other communities make, because Allah blesses our efforts, because it's for Him. So when our intention is right, Allah blesses. When Allah blesses your efforts, the reward, the result is abundant. You can't, it's not one plus one equal two. Yes. 
It's amazing how he multiplies that. So you've got to make a small effort, and Allah multiplies the result. Because in Allah's world, there's no financial crisis or lack or poverty, nothing. There's abundance in Allah's court. You know, it's amazing how people always say, um, you know, there's drought and there's poverty, but they're always having a child. Yeah. But you know what? Every child is born with a fitrah. Completely. Completely. This does not take, and I often try to remind, we've got to remind ourselves as yes. well, because remember, all of us, when things are going difficult in your finances, we start, we human nature, Planning. We, we fear poverty. <laughs> yes. We plan, well, you know, I'm not so sure we should do this. We, we fear poverty. Now, you know, Allah put that in us as human beings, so we don't feel too bad. You're not a bad person for doing that. It's just human nature, because it's a test when we're fearing poverty to remind ourselves, okay, but wait a second. Allah decided my risk anyway, which means Allah put me here. Yes. If Allah put me here, he'll take care of me. I've got to make the effort. As long as I do the effort, it's Allah's job after that. It's not my responsibility. So if, if I have a child, that child comes with its own risk. That child does not take away from another child's risk. That child brings its own risk. Allah put that that we don't own that child. The child doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Allah. We are just a tool in the process. Everything that happens in this world, out of 7 billion people, why did I have to be here? Why do Allah need me? He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. There's 6.9 other whatever billion people around if you wanted someone to do something. He could do it without us, which means we are just tools. And when we remember that, we remember to stay humble and keep our faith intact, inshallah. SubhanAllah. So speaking about the feeling that happens locally yes. and internationally as well. Now you all mentioned earlier on nothing of this sort can happen without your donors. Completely. I mean, you know, for example, it costs 3,500 Rand to feed a village for a day. In Mozambique, Malawi, now in Ramadan. So I encourage donors. I say, well, think about this for a second. We've just, Alhamdulillah, I'm not saying you have to do it to this scale. You do whatever's, whatever's yes. appropriate for you and your family. But we just had a, a lady from Johannesburg yesterday who was feeding a village for the whole month of Ramadan. Now, Allah's given her the means financially to be able to do that. So Alhamdulillah, that was her, her intention. You may feed only one, one village for one day. And Allah may bless it ten times more than that. We don't know. Remember, yes. in Allah's world, Allah decides the niya and everything. That's not our job. But, you make the effort and the effort should be that when we look at the food we have in our home I heard somebody say the other day if we just took half the food we had every day for iftar Every single night so far we're in the fourth day of Ramadan every single night the last three nights I've had extra food in my house that I didn't need We, pr we prepare and then you eat and then you realize there's food left over and all of us are full We can't eat more so, so 3,500 will feed a village. A village consists of over 200 people. That's old people, young people, middle-aged, it doesn't matter. But you're feeding them and remember the reward for that. Indeed. Hafiz, um, Imran, I'm sure you've asked your wife, didn't you scale down a little bit? But then, you know, during the month of Ramadan, there's so much barakah in what it is that you're cooking and you're doing. Absolutely. doesn't matter how much you're saying, you're not going to do this, you're not going to do that. You know, uh, the barakah comes, subhanAllah. Sure. Absolutely. And we shouldn't um, also, should we say, um, shy away from Absolutely. the barakah that Allah provides either. Absolutely. But that we share it with others for as sure. well. Absolutely. And I think here yeah, in Cape Town, you still have that um, taking the plate over from one yeah. to the other as well. So, you know, that is that is kind of the luxury that we have yes. living locally in Cape Town, yes. alhamdulillah. And we're looking at what you're saying earlier, and this brings me back to saying people not knowing where the next meal would be coming from. Absolutely. And they fasting for that yeah. entire day. What's the hours like currently? You see, in, in Mozambique, Malawi, of course, the hours are very similar to here as well. Okay. So it's about 12, 13 hours, maybe 13 and a half hours, whatever the case is. But when you think about it, you know, again, it, it comes down to the concept of when you're having, so for example, we have these iftar boxes that we have. So yes. smaller iftar box you can sponsor as well for one person for iftar and suhoor uh, or you can sponsor a meal for somebody of course 
Uh, or you can sponsor a Ramadan hamper, which is a, 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 which is big enough for a family of four for the month of Ramadan. For the whole month of Ramadan, it's the groceries for the month of Ramadan plus a blanket in there as well. Because remember, we mustn't forget that it's also winter. Yes. And when, when it's winter, you feel for something warmer. You do get hungrier sooner. It's just human nature. So again, but again, you know, you're right. Allah's barakah comes into play. So in these villages, of course, they don't know where the next meal is going to come from. But that day, they're fasting the whole day. They're fasting 12, 13 hours. But you know, the beauty of it again is why, why I'm so impressed with the donors of Southern Africa again is that when I look at some of these pictures coming uh, from Mozambique, Malawi, specifically and from different parts of Africa, is that the joy on people's faces and you see people sharing, not rushing for the food. When it's time to break their fast, you see them first giving other people. Because again, everyone, I mean, I don't think there's a person, I'm sure there is, but I don't think there's a person that I know that doesn't know the benefit of giving someone else a date to break yes. their fast. So you'll see that the masjid, someone will give somebody else a date first because they want the reward. Because yes. we know that if you, ha- if you give someone something to break his, his or her fast, you get the same reward of that fast without diminishing their reward. So we see that. So even in Africa where they don't have, when it's time to break, they want to give the other person first because they're conscious of the fact that Allah is still going to give me the reward of that as well. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. When you speak about education, does it mean educating outside of South Africa as well? Yes. Educating outside of South Africa, especially in Africa, because, you know, unfortunately, fortunately, whichever way you look at it, doesn't matter, societal norms, is that in some parts of Africa, when they have no water, like in Mozambique, they have no water in Malawi, they have no water in some villages. Unfortunately, what they do is they take the young girls out of school. Because then the mindset back there is that, no, 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 these girls don't need an education. They're just going to bring up a family, which fascinates me. But because but, that child, that girl needs an education. Yes. But anyway, so they take the girl out of school and then the girls don't go to school in the village. What the girls do is now the girls start walking up and down five to seven kilometers per day fetching water. How much can a girl carry in a bucket? How much can a guy, how much can a man carry of water? Not much. So they go three, four times up and down five to seven kilometers a day carrying water. Now, for water in a village in Africa, it's not just to drink or to cook or to wash themselves. It's their life. Why? Because they're subsistence farmers. If they don't have water to water the plants, they can't eat. If they don't have water to give the animals, they can't graze the animals. So it's, it's everything to them. So when you put a water well in a village in Africa, for like you know, nine, uh, 12 and a half thousand rand, you can put a water well in the village of Africa. You, you benefit 200 or more families, but you don't only benefit from the water perspective. You allow the girls to go back to school. Because how are you going to grow Africa if you don't educate them? Yes. So now you allow these girls to go back to school because they don't have to fetch water. So you put water well, but you affected the education. So we build classrooms in these parts of Africa as well. So, so you'll have donors who give classrooms or Islamic centers. We've got a lot of donors, alhamdulillah, will sponsor a complete Islamic center, which involves a masjid, muallim's home, homes for the destitute, few classrooms, water well, you know, like a little garden area as well. Yes. So, the, so the community feels a sense of pride. Because think about how did Gatesville grow? How did Athlone grow? How did Lanasia or uh, in yes. Overport in Durban grow? It grew because someone came and put a masjid. And then, of course, people congregated around. They started building their huts or houses, in our case, around the masjid. And that's how communities develop. So you put an Islamic center. All of a sudden, people want to put their hut somewhere or, put their, or, or settle somewhere. They settle next to the masjid. And if you put another masjid a few kilometers away, people settle there. And this is how communities mix. How do you think it grew in Cape Town? So over time, you have 10, 15, 20 massages around Cape Town, whatever the case is, even hundreds. And you have huge communities because someone put a masjid. And every time someone makes salah, and just think about it. And we'll talk later on a little bit about that as well, the value of that. Indeed. Hamid, you know, we speak about African Muslims Agency, but obviously it's not just Muslim people <coughs> residing in those areas as well. So there's non-Muslims too. For sure. Tell us about them and how they, how they see things when you come in as an organization to assist. Actually, I think that's an incredible point you bring to the table. Because first of all, as Muslims, 
our responsibility is not only to Muslims. We are human beings. We have a responsibility to humanity. We're not just to be an example for fellow Muslims. So we want to make sure that when we are in a village or when we are doing something, we're not there to say, no, of course, don't get me wrong, zakah has a particular purpose. Yes. So when it comes to zakah donations and it goes towards the feeding for, for Muslim, of course, that takes ownership into a Muslim. We understand that there's Allah's wisdom in that. But in the same breath, when we build classrooms or when we put a water well somewhere, a water well is not zakah. Why? Because a water well is for the village. If there's some non-Muslims there, they must benefit. You can't say water is only for Muslims. Yes. They're Allah's, Allah's creation. Otherwise, how do you impact someone's life? So it's amazing because I just saw something from the from the from the um, one of the one of the ministers of Malawi uh, sent a little uh, post the other day, a few days ago, wishing the Muslims in Malawi well over Ramadan, and also uh, commending the organizations like African Muslim Agency and other organizations as well, of course, for the work they do because it feeds their society, it feeds, it builds the community, it strengthens them. So in Mozambique, so even the non-Muslim, if you want to call it that, the, the, the uh, people or ministers or governments or whatever the case is, see the Muslim community as someone who is strong in that society. In Mozambique, we see it a lot. Whenever we open up a school or we open up an Islamic center, sometimes the local councillor will come and thank us for doing it because you're making a difference to the humanity of that village. Alhamdulillah. And we're speaking about Malawi and Mozambique and we're speaking about the winter and also how you can donate in just a while. We'll show that, share that with our listeners. But uh, you know, Havith um, Imran, back in the day when your dad left home, it was being away, I suppose, for months with no contact with home or anything. Today it's a bit easier. We have the cell phones and all of this. Um, is there connection when you wish to, you you know, inform your family, we're safe, we're doing this, we're doing that. Tell us about it and, you know, how things uh, how things evolved over the years for the better. I think, you know, you're right, absolutely. I mean, back then, of course, you know, when my father went to Somalia or he went to Sudan or he went to these places or whatever the case is, you didn't know what was going to happen. Like, it's gone. And it's like you just, you just hope for the best and then he comes back. And then, of course, he would bring back well, you call it artifacts. And you bring back these little examples of what children used to play. Like yes. I remember he brought a straw ball and he would say, this is what children used to play with on, on there. And he took it back and he brought it back to show us. Because he obviously was trying to show his children and his family what is going on in Africa so that you could have some appreciation for what, for what he experienced yes. because, I mean, you weren't there with him. Now, of course, it's a bit different. Now you can WhatsApp, you can take pictures and send it to your kids, whatever. And I try to do that, of course, from time to time to be able to share with my children, of course, the, the value of what we have here based on what's going on. Because you hope as a parent, I suppose, you know, to, to instill something that if, if your child can grow up with something inside of them that gives them a love for helping others or whatever the case is, maybe that will be their door to Jannah. You just don't know. I mean. Because, you know, we want to equip our children in so many ways with a career, with this, and it's all fabulous. I'm, I'm for, all for it. It's fantastic. But ultimately, what do you want? Ultimately, when they meet their creator, you want to know that there's maybe some dua of some person or some child that they fed or something, some good word they said to somebody, and that dua is the dua that takes them to Jannah, and you don't know. You have no idea. And, you know, talking about that specifically, we were in a, a village in Malawi, I remember, and I've said this many times um, in different platforms, is that we were there, and it was close to Maghreb time, and of course, no electricity, so it was starting to get dark. And we were, the guys who were, because I'm the director, they were showing me in the book, okay, next week we're sending the borehole machine to come and drill a borehole in this village. So they have a big book, they track everything. So I was like, okay, no problem, because I was there to inspect the thing, whatever the case is. And so we were telling the local people in Chichewa that, no, next week there'll be a, a borehole here, inshallah. And so, of course, they started like, no, 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 you must wait here, you can't go anywhere. We're going to send a bicycle to another village to fetch this other old lady, and they will bring her here because we want to tell her. So, okay. you know, you're trying to be polite, you say, okay, fine, no problem. So then they go off. They send this young boy on a bicycle. Now, after a few minutes, you think, like, okay, how long is it going to take? 
mistake. I mean, how far is the village? And it's getting dark, and you know, we get we get impatient. And so, of course, after half an hour, I'm starting to get look. Wait a second. So I'm saying, okay, well, we appreciate this old lady's going to come, and why should we? Why should we wait for? Her? Yes. No, no, no. Last week she made dua that Allah sends water to this village, so we want her mm. to know that water is coming to the village. So we now we touched by the story, of course, because yes. it's incredible. The last, I mean, Allah didn't. I mean, Allah knows, but she didn't know, and we didn't know. We didn't, we didn't contact each other with a cell phone, and so um, after another half an hour, we started to get a little bit annoyed now because it's getting dark, and we got a way to drive still. And there's no electricity, and finally, I'm starting. I'll be honest. I mean, I'll just be maybe it's just my weakness. I started saying to the guy, I said, "Listen, you know what? Okay, I mean, I respect the fact that the old woman made dua last week, so there'll be a water well here next week or a bowl, but I think you know we should go." And the one sheikh there with me said, Imran, here's the keys. If you want to go, you're welcome to drive. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm waiting. I said, why are you waiting? He said, he said listen, I know me. He yes. said, I know my weaknesses. I want that lady to come, and I wanted to make dua for me and all the donors that gave for this bowl, because it may be, if her dua is that accepted, it may be my only chance for Jannah. I want to ask her to make dua for our Jannah, because I know me and all my weaknesses. Maybe it's the only dua Allah's going to accept for me. And I think about that and I say to the donor, think about it. When you give something, you have no idea. The person drinking the water doesn't even know who gave the water well or the bowl. Or the person eating the food for iftar doesn't know you gave the money personally. Yes. But Allah knows. And Allah never forgets. Which means when that boy or girl or old lady or old person or person who's eating and breaking their fast, and even if they don't say Alhamdulillah, even if they don't thank Allah on your behalf, even if they don't make dua for you, Allah knows how their body, their soul feels when they're breaking their fast. And because Allah knows that satisfaction they're experiencing, Allah rewards you because you are part of that process. Now imagine, and when you give, you can give multiple near. You don't have to only give with one near. You can say, oh Allah, I'm giving to feed this village. Please bless my children, my grandparents, my parents, the deceased. You can put so many nears on it because in Allah's court, there is no one for one. In Allah's court, yes. you can put 10 nears on something and say, oh Allah, this is all I have, but I'm willing to give it to feed other people in a village in Africa. And please, every person who eats, so every person who gets satisfied because of this food, let it benefit my family or whatever. And, and of course, that's Sadaqah Jariyah. The whole concept of Allah, when someone drinks water out of a water well, mm -hmm. as long as they're drinking, when you and I leave this world, we can't beg Allah anymore. <laughs> but someone drinking water and quenching a thirst, when you and I are gone, I was walking through the Qabristan, and so a cousin of mine mentioned this to me, he said, Imran, think about this, people here live in this graveyard longer than they were alive. They might have walked in this earth for 60 years, they're in their grave for 100 years already. There's very, very short time they walked on this planet. Some people, nobody makes dua for them anymore, maybe. Maybe their kids also passed on. Maybe people forgot about them. But the Sadaqah al-Jariya, somebody somewhere is drinking water, or eating something, or doing some, or praying in a masjid, yes. that you had some part in building, and you're still getting reward because of that, while everybody else was living forgot about you. SubhanAllah, what, uh, you know, what wisdom in that as well. We spoke about boreholes and wells. Um, Havid Imran, you want to just share the difference between the two, if you may? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, boreholes are something where you send a truck, a drilling machine, a rigging machine, and you drill a borehole maybe 20, 30, 40, sometimes even 60 meters down into the ground. And then, of course, we find water, and then the fresh water comes up, and you have a pipe that brings it up to the top. And, of course, you put a, a pump on the top where, of course, you pump the water out. So that's a borehole. Uh, a water well, in some places in Africa, it's easy to drill boreholes because it's maybe more accessible. In places in villages in Mozambique, we can't actually send a truck in there 
just doesn't survive. So we have to d- d- dig water wells by hand. So water well is something dug by hand, maybe seven to ten meters under the ground, uh, and we, somebody digs it, physically digs it with a spade, okay. and, and you find water. And then, of course, we create a bit of a pipe that brings the water up to the surface. And it always fascinates me that Allah puts the water so it's five, six, seven meters under the ground, drinking water, and Allah could make the water run on the ground, but He lets it run under the ground a few meters. It's again, it's the concept of effort. Yes. Because Allah just wanted to make that little bit of effort. So the donor's effort is to give some money maybe. He's working, he's saving money, putting some money here. The person's effort there is to dig the water well. All this effort combined to bring the water when Allah could have just let it be on the ground. But Allah, His system of the world is you make an effort and then I will reward you. You make that effort and I'll give it to you. It's there. But make the effort of course. And He wants us, because if we didn't have to give the money here, we wouldn't know about this, uh, the person who doesn't have water there. We wouldn't yes. develop compassion. So Allah gives us ways to develop compassion with each other, yes. with fellow human beings. Because if He provided the water for the guy in Mozambique, you and I wouldn't know about it. If we didn't know about it, why must we feel for someone else? Yes. So I always wonder, why did Allah bring it to my attention? You know, I often hear about, you, you hear about something going on in another part of the world, you say, we'll make dua for them. Okay, let's make dua for them. We say, Allah's testing them. It's our famous words, Allah's testing them. Yes. Okay, well, who's Allah really testing you? He brought it to you and my attention. Okay, let Him test them, but why bring it to my attention? Because you can do something about because it. Because I'm being tested now. Yes. But by him being my attention, I'm the one being tested. What are you going to do about it now, Imran? Because I didn't have to tell you about it, but now you know about it. So that's the kind of thinking about it behind that, of course. So Alhamdulillah, so the boreholes and water wells, obviously it costs more to drill a borehole. It's about 40,000 rand. It costs less, 12,500 rand for a water well. Alhamdulillah. On that note, we need to know how to donate and also yes. tell us more about all the details that we need to know. Of course. Well, of course, I mean, I think the, the website, of course, africamuslimsagency.co.za. Uh, and that's really, really, I mean, I think go to the website, have a look in that, of course. Uh, contact our, our 24-hour number, 083-251-9376. Uh, that's 083-251-9376. Any time of day or night, contact that number if you want to. And then, of course, we've got offices around the country, in the Western Cape specifically, in Belgravia Road, 22 Belgravia Road, right opposite Wembley there. And we open there even on Saturdays as well. So Saturdays as well, from 9 till 4, we are open there. Uh, on 22 Belgravia Road on Saturday and Sunday from 9 till 4 because of course some people are more available to be able to donate on a weekend as well and of course you can contact them on 699-0545 so 021-699-0545 and of course zakah, lillah, sadaqah uh, anything you want to donate uh, your fitra as well later on in the month as well uh, you want to donate we welcome that of course and we'll give you transparency on how it's actually given out how it's uh, donated here locally or around the country or in different parts of Africa as well and then of course, you can welcome to tune into our pledge line we're having on ITV later this week, inshallah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I know, and then I say this again every organization does good work. I say this wherever I speak. There's no such thing as the only one, the main one, the biggest one, the first one. There's no such thing. How can we compete because of someone else's plight? <laughs> so give to where your heart wants to give. Yes. Doesn't matter. Of course, we'd love you to give to, to Donate Africa Muslim Agency. Of course, we have these projects we can show you of what's happening in Africa and how many thousands of people are benefiting every single day. But give where your heart is comfortable. Because Allah knows the near. And again, we can't compete saying, I'm better than that one. Because we're not. There's no such thing. We're here to help fellow human beings. Inshallah. You mentioned that you will be on ITV yes. with your pledge line as well. When will that be? That's on Friday evening, this coming Friday evening. That's Layla to Sadaqah. It's on Friday the 2nd of June, so in a few days' time, inshallah, at 22.30. So that's, of course, after Salatul Taraweeh at half past 10 in the evening. We'll be going for four hours, inshallah. And um, and so we'll be we'll be on ITV at that time. So you're welcome to call in at that time inshallah. as well. Imran, you mentioned this Suhoor and Iftar packs as yes. well. Um, yes. If people wish to sponsor, <coughs> yes. can they watch it, see the website or would you 
you give the total for those? Yeah, it's 70 rand for the iftar packs as well, and it's 750 rand for the Ramadan hampers. The hamper con- also includes a, a high-quality blanket and groceries for the month. So you can give 3,500 rand if you want to sponsor a village. That's for a day. Or you can give multiple days. Get your family together. And mm-hmm. do it as a family, maybe. Or you can give 750 rand for a Ramadan hamper. Or you can give 70 rand for the Ram- iftar pack. Iftar pack is a box that has some, some, some food items in there, enough for one person for iftar and suhoor. So for, to break their fast and to keep for the next morning for suhoor as well. So you can donate as many of those as you want. Or you can go to the website or go to the office and ask them about that. And remember, because now Ramadan being in winter, it's nice to give the Ramadan hampers of 750 with the blanket inside. Because, of course, again, it's the, it's, people need blankets yes. as well during Ramadan now because it's cold. We get up for suhoor in the morning, it's cold. I mean, my kids every morning, I mean, it's cold. So what are other people who don't have? Yeah. SubhanAllah, you know, may Allah grant us that understanding, Ameen. inshallah, and, um, allow us to open our, not just the, the purses, but the minds to Ameen. just, you know, fathom what is happening on the other side. If you can just close your eyes and imagine what it is that you are talking about here, because you've been experiencing that yourself, being Absolutely. with those people. Winter, do they experience a dry winter? Well, you see, again, in, in the villages of Mozambique and some parts of Africa, during the day it's still warm, but at night it gets very cold. Because again at night, you see, you must remember when it gets, when it's hot, it's like in the desert or it's like in the jungle. During the day it can be very warm because it's tropical, but at night it gets very, very cold. Also, they don't have insulation. They don't have brick structures. So they have these hot straw structures, which means when the wind blows or when, when it's cold, it comes right through. They have concrete floor. You know what happens with the concrete floor when it's cold. Nice cold. I mean, it's very, very cold. Nice. Now you've got your children and elderly people must be sleeping on that. Unfortunately. Well, you know, make it easy, Amin, inshallah. Amin, inshallah. Yeah, looking at the organization, and yes, you've come along with 30 years, commemorating 30 yes. years of doing great work within, you know, not just um, mm. South Africa, but Africa as well. You mentioned a lot about uh, Mozambique and Malawi. Mm. Are there other countries that Oh, yeah, you absolutely. I mean, you know, in, we, we, we've sent a uh, mission to Lebanon as, uh, for, in a refugee camp there. We sent some doctors from Cape Town, Dr. Sali Adams and, and a few others as well, who went actually to Lebanon to do cleft lip and palate surgery on, on, on children in, in refugee camps in Lebanon. And then, of course, while we were there, one of the other doctors we went with noticed that children had their uh, limbs blown off in conflict, obviously. And so he remembered somebody using 3D printing technology in South Africa to make limbs, to make hands uh, for, for, for kids. And so we came back and we started a project here called Grip 3D, where we use 3D printing technology to make hands for children in Lebanon, in uh, Turkey, on uh, Syrian children in Turkey on the, in the, board, on the border there in refugee camps, and of course here locally in Cape Town as well. So in Cape Town we've had three pilot projects already actually, where children actually have these 3D printed technology hands. You can find out more about that from our office or the website. But um, we have cliff lip and palate surgeries as well. In January, just to wrap up, in January we sent a group of people to Turkey for Syrian refugees there in Turkey as well. And it was freezing cold. It was their winter in December, and so December, January. So we went to buy them clothing and blankets and medical supplies and food uh, on, on the borders of Turkey there uh, with the refugee camps of the Syrian refugees. And then, of course, many parts of Africa, Uganda. We just sent some, some, some feeding to Uganda just the other day for Ramadan as well. Somalia as well. Different parts of Africa. In Niger, there's a water project in Niger, uh, in, in West Africa, that we're busy putting together right there with the head offices, of course, and putting together a solar project of water. So there's so many different projects you can get involved in. I think the last time we spoke about these uh, hands yes. and the limbs, we had uh, Muhammad Shafika. Yeah, absolutely, because his son is one of the recipients, yes. actually, incredible, yes. you know, through amniotic band syndrome. Yes. And so now we've just launched this project on a much larger scale. Here in, in, in the, his son was the, one of the first, actually, to, to receive it. Actually, the first one to receive yeah. it.